Hey, Dee, I want to thank you for making me watch Gardener's World this weekend. It's great. Didn't you just love that Japanese garden at Cowden? Oh, my gosh. that was! I think I've watched that episode part three times already because there's just so much to take in. There is. It was interesting because it was originally designed by a female Japanese garden designer, which you and I went and got their names, Taki Honda, in the early 1900s, which you pointed out, 1908. I know. For Isabella Ella Christie of Cowden, and she owned the property. She was a rich woman on her own. And just the details of that garden were, oh, it was beautiful, and it's been completely restored. Completely restored, and I love how they talk about the paths are meant to slow you down, mimic mm-hmm. life's twists and turns. It was it was fascinating. I'll watch it again. Yeah, I would too. And then there was the guy with 187 different types of mint. And of course, yeah, that was pretty amazing. It <laughs> was crazy, right? And then Monty's new puppy, Ned, who is very good at digging in the garden. Oh, I my think. gosh. <laughs> I laughed. Ned ate every bean that he picked. <laughs> he did. <laughs> it was funny. <laughs> so good. So shall we move on to our episode, though? Go for it. Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Dee Nash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on seven and a half acres out in the country. And I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. It's about a third of an acre. We call ourselves Garden Angelists because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening. And honestly, the only reason we do this podcast is because we want you to love it too. (laughs) Exactly. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Hello, Dee. Hello, Carol. How does your garden grow? Oh, my goodness, Dee. The answer to the question, did Carol get frost? And the answer is yes. Oh. There was a light frost Saturday morning and a light frost Sunday morning. And I talked to a friend of mine who lives north of me, so she should have gotten frost, but she has a creek that goes through her property, and there's a pond not too far away, and so it sort of moderates everything. So I beat her with first frost. But it was very light. I think people don't understand that uh, water moderates temperatures, so I'm glad you brought that up, and I'm sorry about your frost. That's okay. I did pick a couple of figs, and my figs were looking amazing, and I actually did a little YouTube video because it was a jungle. Um, And when I say little, I mean two minutes. It's not very long. Mm -hmm. And then the frost has kind of kicked it back, so I'm not sure I'll get any more ripe. And then I went down a whole rabbit hole of how to grow figs to get them to ripen earlier and found this the millennial gardener who's in coastal North Carolina, and he had some good ideas that I will attempt to emulate next year there you go yes good for you i pulled some radishes they were delicious a little bit of heat to them they were yummy good though i got one out there that's ready i think i planted after you did and i'm probably just gonna one pull radish it i have just one that's ready the rest of them aren't ready yet oh okay i just had scads of them i mean i left a bunch Yeah, but I think in my case, it was too hot still. I don't know. I also have a package of watermelon radishes that I was thinking about sowing just for the heck of it, even though I think I'm too late to do it. But we'll see. So in my garden, guess what it did this morning? Uh, This morning? Yeah. 
I'm going to say... There's nothing in the notes, so you can just quit looking at those. I'm just asking you a question. I, I don't know woke what you me, did. What woke me up this morning? Birds Thunder. singing. Thunder. Thunder. You had rain? I had rain. So it's, jealous. It happened so this jealous. morning. So jealous. And I got, I got half an inch, which is amazing. It didn't rain in Oklahoma City. It was just this band of storms that started... I mean, literally just south of me and moved north and east. And so my husband, I called him at nine and I said, it rained this morning. We're, we record on Monday. And um, he was like, no way. I said, I bet we got half an inch. I went out there and checked before the podcast. We did. I need rain. Please send the rest of that rain my way. Well, we needed rain. I mean, our grounds in Oklahoma are cracking. I mean, it's a bad deal. Anyway. I planted garlic, and I planted that hardneck garlic that I talked about in last week's episode. I got the rest of those shrubs and daylilies in the ground. They're all done and ready for winter, except I might mulch just a little bit on this one border, the one next to the garage. So one of our listeners asked me where I found mulch right now, and number two, why was I mulching before winter time? And I said, well, because one, I like how pretty mulch looks. The pretty yes. mulch. There's different mulches. I like how the pretty, and in my case, the pretty mulch is um, small cedar chips. I like how they look. Um, I like that on the front of my house in fall because fall is second spring, and I just enjoy the heck out of fall. And then I also like it because it keeps uh, the soil from washing into the path from the garage border. And, oh, and I repaired the path again, yet again. And, and then. Actually- Mulch is used to regulate the temperature of the soil. That was the and next so thing I was going to say. Yeah. Putting it down so, right before you get a really hard freeze is a good idea. It kind of keeps it from freezing and thawing then all es- winter. Especially for things that you've just planted. Exactly. Because they're susceptible anyway. And I put one of those show-off forsythias in that garage border right where I can see it. Uh-huh. In connection with my latest post on the blog, which is how to enjoy your garden more. And so I need to mulch around that. That's all. That is a lot. I was busy. You were busy. I'm going to uh, do our first quote and get us going on our flower topic. Go for it. I trust in nature for the stable laws of beauty and utility. Spring shall plant and autumn garner to the end of time. Robert Browning. So I chose that one. And the reason I did was because I think we can get really wrapped up in the news. And we should Yes. The news is dismal. So <laughs> let's just, let's think about how the laws of nature will apply till the end of time. Birds will sing, winter will come, that's what happens. Let's talk yes. about our flower. All right. The flower is the poppy, and I saw an email from Botanical Interest about sowing poppies, and I thought... I did hmm, too. We should talk about poppies, which I do not grow. Okay, so there are different types of poppies, and I don't grow all of them either. I have a girlfriend, her name's Lori, Lori Barker, and she can grow ornamental, I mean, oriental, I don't know why they still call them oriental, oriental poppies. Those are the great big ones with the great big poppy seed heads. Um, She can grow those like nobody I've ever seen. The problem with those is, and she'll tell you this, they cover up everything else. So she, you know, she has to pull some of them up, but I, as her, so that her daylilies will get enough sun so that they will later bloom. And her husband, Nick, doesn't like her to pull up the poppies because the poppies are so beautiful. I can't grow those. 
I really can't. I have tried and I just don't care anymore. They don't need that big a part of my garden. But in her garden, I drive by there every spring just to look at her poppies. The ones I can grow are the corn poppies, which are all the Shirley poppies are a version of the corn poppies that was they were found in a cottage garden. They were a, a variation. So I can grow those easily. I mean, if I th- if I throw some corn poppy seeds into um, the potager, which is what I'm planning to do this year, they'll do great. In fact, I will probably plant them today, honestly. And that's a slight difference rain. between your climate and my climate. So you might sow your poppy seeds now and they would come up mm-hmm. in the spring. And for my climate, because I have a harsher winter, the advice is to sow the seeds four to six weeks before you think you're going to have your last frost. So it's kind of variable. But I, I got to be honest. I enjoy poppies in other gardens, and I I know Mm -hmm. where a neighbor around the corner has the most beautiful red ones. Um, Mm -hmm. But I I just, there's just so much going on in the spring. I just sort of lose track, and so uh, I I should try it again. I have a bunch of poppy seeds I should try. Remember when we were in Austin, one of the two times that we were there for garden bloggers? Remember, did you see all the poppies that were in people's gardens? The red ones with the, you know, blue, the bread poppies, the poppies that you eat, poppy seed. That's what those are, those red poppies. And right. boy, they are pretty. And they, they grew like crazy in Austin. And I also had a friend who could grow them in North Carolina really well. They do grow here. Um, I may also save the seed. You can do a couple of things. You can plant the seed now in October. You can plant the seed in February. It may or may not work. For one thing, in my case, I have trouble with the fact that if I plant it in early February, um, I forget and I plant something where I planted the poppy seed. I'm really bad about that because I get all excited and, yeah. and I mess everything up. I don't know what that's like, Dee, but... No, no other gardener does. I'm the only one. <laughs> so it is probably better if I do it now or do it in January on some snow. But we may not have snow in Oklahoma, so there's that. So I'll probably do it now. So I'm going to try this year. I haven't grown poppies in a while. I'm going to try Shirley poppies, and it's Mother of Pearl. And I actually bought my seed from Select Seeds. Botanical interests, as you said earlier, that the poppy seeds they have, they are beautiful. In fact, I think they have Lawrence grapes still, which is they, a special poppy. Yes, they do. And it was not out of stock when I looked on Saturday. And I'm putting an affiliate link if somebody's interested in those poppy seeds. There and was, Lawrence grape is a selection that is kind of hard to find. And it is purple, and I've grown it before. Kind of a steely blue purple to full purple. It's really pretty. And we have seen poppies in another place. At the Chicago Botanic Garden, they had a oh hillside gosh, that was just loaded with poppies. And so that, I, I would think that up in your meadow or something, you would be able to throw some poppies I can grow there. poppies. Yeah, I've had poppy seeds in the meadow before. They love really sandy soil, and that meadow's full of sandy soil. And it's also why they do well in my little garage border, because it's sandy soil too. I had another thought. If I can find that that variety of poppies that we saw in the Chicago Botanic Garden I took tons of pictures of, that's going to be the picture for our um, newsletter if I can find it. And okay, the name cool. of that selection was Champagne Bubbles. I'll never forget. That hillside was amazing. That was amazing. And once you sow poppies and you kind of get poppies growing, they'll come up every year. 
here sometimes. I mean, sometimes you have to resell them. It just depends on what kind of terrible summer we've had. Yeah, you do I'll have those terrible, awful, no good, hot summers. Blah. Sometimes. Sometimes. All right. So is that it for poppies? That is it for poppies. Other than uh, I thought we were going to have a Wizard of Oz theme because remember, they tried to walk through the poppies to get to the Emerald City. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's where most yeah. people think of poppies. That and World War One, where the red poppy is the symbol of World War One and all the soldiers who died. The Day of Remembrance, and they still use it to this day. And they turned the moat at the Tower of London for the 100th anniversary of the Armistice Day into a sea of gorgeous poppies. We talked about it before. We did? Okay. Yeah, years ago. Anyway, poppies, poppies, poppies. I think I'll sow some poppies. That was in 2014. We either wrote about it or something. I don't know. Anyway, on to the next quote. Do it, D. This is for Carol. Bittersweet October, the mellow, messy, leaf-kicking, perfect pause between the opposing miseries of summer and winter. That's by Carol Bishop Hibbs. Why is that for me? Because you had frost. Oh, that's right. I had frost. Uh, you know what? It's it's kind of right on schedule, and there's been some years lately where we really didn't get frost until November, and quite frankly, I was like, let's just get this over with. And so I'm happy to See, I'm just gotten it over with. Super, I'm super glad that we aren't having an ice storm like we did in 2020. Yeah, that was horrible. Asian greens. Asian greens. Asian this greens. This was my idea. This was your and idea. You went, what? Uh, well, I never think, oh, I should plant me some Asian greens. The only one I really know about is bok choy. But when I list, looked at the list, they also listed mm-hmm. mustard, which kind of makes sense. Mm-hmm. We, we have a very large uh, Asian population in this area from Myanmar, and they mm-hmm. grow tons of mustard. And Because when I was working, one of my uh, coworkers showed me a picture, and she says, do you think these are mustard greens? And I says, I think so. Why? And she says, well, her neighbor, who was from Myanmar, had given her like a trash bag full of it. And she says, well, I didn't want to cook it until I knew what it was. Well, yeah, because if you're not familiar with it, I mean, and those Chinese mustards are hot. So that was a big old hot package that they gave her. I've grown them before. I've also grown bok choy. I've grown tat soy. I grow a lot of things that are Asian because I like stir fry and I also like weird things to grow. Not that I think Asian greens are weird. I just think they're different than Although what we're there used to. is one on the list. I went and looked at the that list. That one's weird. Hudson Valley Seed, you sent me a link, and I was like, chrysanthemum greens? So I'm like, you can eat chrysanthemum greens? <laughs> okay. Yeah, apparently you can. So there's one on the list that's double garland chrysanthemums. And I said, I don't think I'd like to eat those fuzzy leaves. There's a reason that deer mostly leave chrysanthemums alone. They're fuzzy and gross. So I probably won't be buying that one, but it does have yellow flowers. So if you are so inclined... You know, but if you haven't tried stuff before, Asian greens before, I'd say start off with bok choy. Bok choy is delicious, and there's a lot of small ones that are um, shorter in stature, or you can grow the great big ones. Um, they're all really, really good. Yes. And I the, love them. The reason to talk about them now is most of these Asian greens will tolerate light frost and continue to be producing mm-hmm. in the garden, and you can... Uh, with a little bit of protection, you can grow them well into 
early winter, I would say, with some protection. Yeah, and if you have a cold frame, you can grow them all winter long, well, until there's no sunlight, and then they'll just sit there. But as soon as the sun comes back after the winter solstice, then they'll start to grow again. Yeah, you can do that. They're just like any other. I can't think of any Asian greens that are real summery, but I'm sure there are. You know, but even collard greens, which are grown down in the south and aren't an Asian green, they're just a green. They they'll tolerate some heat, but they really like cooler weather. Yes, and so if you're like I, this is going to tie into our book topic, by the way. If you are looking mm-hmm. for greens that you want to grow into fall and winter, these this class of greens, which they're putting together in a group called Asian Greens, are probably something you ought to consider. Yeah, so we should give a shout out yet again to uh, Hudson Valley Seed because they put this together and I thought it was pretty cool. And then we are going to move on to our next quote. All right. October is crisp days and cool nights, a time to curl up around the dancing flames and sink into a good book. John Sonor. And you did on the bookshelf because I did not get this book. You got it. I got this book. And you liked it. Ah, It's called To Boldly Grow, Finding Joy, Adventure, and Dinner in Your Own Backyard by Tamar Haspel. And I got to tell you, Dee, I'm not done reading this book, but Mm -hmm. I'm about a third of the way in, and I am enjoying it. So we have talked in the past about Mrs. Green Thumbs, Cassandra Dance, who sadly passed away when we were too young. Mm-hmm. Good advice mixed with humor, telling right? stories. That is Tamar Haspel. So she will admit that she was an armchair person. If she could do something from sitting in her armchair, she was all about it. Her husband's a doer. He will, you know, actually do stuff. So they decided one day to move from New York City to Cape Cod. Uh-huh. And then she got this idea to do what she calls firsthand food. So. Uh-huh. She asked her husband, she says, do you think for one year we could eat something every day that we either grew, caught, raised, foraged, or hunted? And at first he said no, but then he took on the challenge. And so this is, there's stuff about raising turkeys, there's stuff about collecting acorns, there's stuff about growing vegetables. And um, now they have some advantages because they're on Cape Cod, two wooded acres, so they can with a stocked freshwater pond and then they're not far from the ocean where they can go clamming. And I guess you use a rake and you certain days of the week, you're allowed to collect clams off the beach. And yes, so they can do a lot more than maybe I could do in my suburban area where I don't have these places, but it's just, it's just kind of fun. And, you know, she talks about um, making dandelion wine and thinking, you know, that, Dandelion wine is sort of like, you've heard of st- stone soup before? Uh-huh. Where he comes into town, he says, I can make a delicious soup out of stone. and But it would be Everybody better with contribute. a little onion or a little of this, a little of that. And the next thing you know, it's a delicious stone soup. But she mm-hmm. says, that's sort of dandelion wine. It's got enough other ingredients that you wonder why you put dandelion flowers in there. But <laughs> She sounds funny. She is funny. And... um <laughs> I had to laugh because, you know, she talks about acorns and they raise pigs and she was feeding acorns to her pigs. And some of the best pork in the world is fed on acorns. Yes. She mentions that. And so, you know, Mm -hmm. but she also realizes that her pigs can eat a lot of acorns. So she figures out how to get a lot of acorns. And then, of course, it goes on to acorn flour. But anyway, I digress. I've had 
is really a fun book. I've had um, muffins with acorn flour. Yeah. Ellen Zakos one time made me muffins with acorn flour. And to me, the acorn flour tasted very similarly to almond flour, which almond, as you know, is not a, um, what would you call it? It's not a clean crop. <laughs> it takes a lot of effort to it get almonds, although effort. I love them. And I'm not anti-almond, but I'm just saying it's not like, you know, but it does also takes a lot of effort. I'm sure she went into this in the book. To make acorn flour, there's a lot of stuff you have to do. You have to soak the acorns yes, and yes. do all this stuff. Yes, and she stuff. used yeah. the, the method of soaking the acorns in the back of the toilet tank where the fresh water comes in. And so every time you flush, you're refreshing the water. She used that yeah. method, which we, we've heard that method before. We have. So it, it's a really a fun book, and I think it's one of those. If you like Cassandra Dance um, and her Mrs. Green Thumb books, I think that this one is one you would enjoy too. I've got the library book. I'll probably actually buy a copy because it, it's a fun read on Cape Cod. That's cool. I, love, I would love to go to Cape Cod. I've never been there. So that's To Boldly Grow, Finding Joy, Adventure, and Dinner in Your Own Backyard by Tamar Haspel. And, and one thing she – I don't know if I mentioned this – she calls these foods that she's figuring out how to get herself or her and her husband firsthand food. Yeah. So it's a great concept to write a book about. I know is. she came up with this concept and did it, and then she pitched it to an editor, which was super smart. Well, she's Shall also I, uh, she's a columnist for the Washington Post, and I believe that that helps too. That helps too, and I think she's won. <laughs> let me let me get this award right. James Beard Award winning Washington Post column. Oh Earth. wow which tackles food from every angle, agriculture, nutrition, obesity, the food environment, and DIY. So so she's, a, she's an old hand at this. She just hadn't done so much foraging, it sounds like. Good for her. Yes. I mean, she said, you know, give her a topic. She'll do all the research in the world and write an article as long as she doesn't have to leave her armchair. But this is right. like, we're going to go out and do this. So that right. is it's just, you know. And the other funny thing I'll say is, they, not too far from them, somebody had a glorious vegetable garden. Um, and so they decided they'd have one. First of all, they lived on wooded acres, so that limited <laughs> where you could put the garden. And yeah. then they did a soil test and found out they, they basically live on sand. Okay. that's <laughs> So a lot of soil amendments. Gardening later. in pots on their driveway. We've seen that done before. Yeah. All right, Ready so that was the book. Quote? It's very good. I enjoy it. I am enjoying it immensely. I'm amazed that you're enjoying it immensely since you are not a forager kind of person. But I see the humor part but got there's, you. But there's gardening, there's fishing, there's hunting. There's all kinds of stuff I don't do. I don't eat a lot of mushrooms. And I'm reading the chapter about mushrooms, you know, where... Mushrooms are tricky, too. I ain't... I ain't. only mushroom I'm going for are the ones we get in the spring, the morels. There you go. Do that next quote, D. October, the extravagant sister has ordered an immense amount of the most gorgeous forest tapestry for her grand reception. That's by Oliver Wendell Holmes, and I know you picked that out because of our dirt. Our dirt is, uh, we're going to put a link to the SmokyMountains.com fall foliage map. And we've talked about this in past years, and this is probably not the only foliage map out there. But if you do not want to miss colorful fall, this map, and they change it all the time, will tell you where's the best color. And mm -hmm. I will say we're not at peak yet, but certain mm -mm. trees 
that are always the first to change are near their peak. There's one at the house by the entrance to the neighborhood that is always the first to be glorious. So it's happening. Yeah, we're, we are not even close yet and that's okay. And, but this is great because you might think that the Smoky Mountain, that it only talks about the Smoky Mountains. Um, but it doesn't, it, it shows the entire country and it is fun to like go down that map and see how everything changes over time. Cause they have a predictor too. And this reminds me of the maps for the hummingbirds, the migration maps for the monarchs and various things that like the eagles, that's all done through journey North. And you can go and look at those too and see how the foliage also connects up with Who's moving where at what time? Exactly, and my honey. And I can tell you that the monarchs moved through here. I still have some monarchs. In fact, I saw two out there when I was looking at the rain gauge. I've just got the stragglers now, and the big push is already going down to Texas. So that's been fascinating. It wasn't like the migration a few years ago where we just saw them pass us over in the sky. Um, There were some people who saw that. It's called directional flight. I had days where I had a lot of monarchs in my garden, which we can talk more about during my rabbit hole. True that. I was going to say my honey locust tree, which is always the first to kind of, it changes to sort of a muddy yellow. And then those little leaves, they've been dropping for a month, partly because it's dry. It's dry. Also, that's the first thing. And I'll probably not have any foliage on that tree in about another week or two. Well, I just looked outside, and my native oak tree that's right out my window, um, nothing. It's still green, just as green as it can be. Well, oaks are one of the last things to turn. It's okay. I'm not upset about it. It gives me more of October, and you know I love October. I know you love October. Let me do this next quote to talk about October. October. October is the opal month of the year. It is the month of glory, of ripeness. It is the picture month. Henry Ward Beecher. That makes me want to go pick some apples and make an apple pie. There you go. Your rabbit hole. Or you want my rabbit hole? It doesn't matter. We can go either one. Doesn't matter. You go first. So I did uh, I did write a Lost Ladies of Garden Writing series. I wrote about Buckner Hollingsworth again. Yes, I and read I say it. And I again, I wrote about her back in 2014, but I sort of carried her forward so that I could make her a Lost, lost Lady of Garden Writing. But the real rabbit hole that I ended up down is, do you know where Hornby Island is? I do not. So Hornby Island is off the coast of British Columbia in Canada. Uh Uh-huh. Been there. And there's like a little over a thousand people that live on Hornby Island. Uh Uh-huh. Somebody uh, did these really, really sweet videos called Art of Gardening Hornby Island and put them on YouTube. And it's interviews with about six different gardeners and they're from very old to pretty young and talk about their gardens on Hornby Island and just their philosophy of gardening. How the heck did you find this? You know what? YouTube, I I have no idea, but YouTube thought, hey, wonder if Carol would like a gardening video. And (laughs) up it came and I'm like, well, I do like this YouTube. Thank you very much. And so then I thought, thank you, algorithm. Thank you, algorithm. There are about six. So I almost sent you all six links on Saturday. I thought, well, no, I'll just wait and share it with you today. I'm glad you did that. I had a lot going on on Saturday and Sunday both. 
So. Well, you can, you and our listeners can watch these at your leisure, and I think you'll enjoy them. The, these gardeners, it's pretty sweet, and some of the lessons that they say um, really should be written down. I think that's awesome. I will watch them. I will. Okay, so my um, rabbit hole started. <laughs> my rabbit hole started because of Dr. Jared Barnes, and he he wrote a thing called Asters of Autumn Part One, and I assume there's a part two. I haven't read part two yet. Um, when you try to identify some asters, it gets really hard because in my garden, the asters have spread around and done their own thing. I started out with like three asters. I have about 10 kinds now or maybe more. And I'm sure some of them have mixed with each other and now are Uh their own special thing. You know how Um, asters are. Asters are promiscuous, just like um, those other flowers in the spring. They're promiscuous, too. Okay, so anyway, it gets really hard to identify asters, and I'm getting ready to write a post on asters because I want people to plant asters, even though they're messy, even though they have to be staked, even though they have to be cut back. Like goldenrod, they are one of the best plants you can grow in your garden to attract pollinators and save butterflies. <laughs> and exactly. if I and if I'm going to preach on something, this is what I'm going to preach on. We've well, got to save the butterflies. As far as the staking goes, mm-hmm. um, I just let mine flop if they're if they get overly tall because I didn't get them come back. And I I do have some that I didn't get cut back. Oh, you can't see it's, them sometimes. They just, they're just tall and, you know, if they flop over, they flop over, but I don't, I don't try to stake them. Yeah. Well, I stake some of them because sometimes they flop on their neighbors and totally shade them out because they can be quite rude. So some of them I do. One aster I've worked really hard on just getting throughout the garden by saving seed and doing lots of other things is bluebird. And I talked about it on an Instagram post. If I remember, I'll put it in our newsletter this week. Um, bluebird is one of the prettiest asters on the planet. And I did a whole series of asters on uh, Instagram videos. So go look at my Instagram reels if you want to. And then that got me thinking about, because I'm, I'm on this, I'm on these two groups on Facebook, which have to do with butterflies. And there are some real experts in there because I am not a butterfly expert. I'm a gardening expert about some things. Yes. And one of the things they talked about was a plant called crown beard, which is verbicina, and I can't re- I can't remember the species name. Uh, verbicina is one of the best plants, crown beard, for butterflies of all types because it's both a larval plant and a nectar plant. And I don't believe that I know much about it, so it I'm may not go. Co- it may not go far enough north. You know, it may be one of it those plants. Not. It's definitely a prairie plant, and I'll put its full name in our newsletter. And then I've been trying to find seeds for it. I could go get seeds from someone's pasture, um, but that means I got to go find them. Um, and then also liatris. I've been trying to increase liatris in the upper pasture too. Liatris is hard. There's a bunch of different species. And some do better with our terrible dry summers than others. So I've right. got one up there that's doing great. So I go up there and I walk the property and I check every every few days to see if it's gone to seed because I'm going to sprinkle it around. I started by liatris seeds and then I changed my mind. So you can see it's been quite a prairie rabbit hole. It is a prairie rabbit hole. And I was going to say that that crown beard, it's one thing to say I'll go collect seeds. It's another to identify it when it just has the seeds and there's no flower. 
it might be right. Like, oh, that's why that looks like every other plant out here. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a tough one. Verbicina, and I was going to look it up, but anyway, that's my rabbit hole. Yeah, it's Verbicina insuloides, and it's golden crown beard. And I'm going to link to it so that I can find it. I, you know what? Reach out to American Meadows and find out if he knows where you can get seed for it. Yeah, he would help me with that. He's super nice, Mike. Super so, nice, Mike is. Uh, yes, he is. Um, and we love American Meadows. I mean, he works really hard to restore prairies. So good for him. All right, so there you go. That was mine. Whew, what a busy day. What a busy week. Ooh, yeah. So let's talk about our garden commissions. Mine is, I'm praying for rain because it is very dry. Mm-hmm. And then this is the week of the big Garden Comms virtual conference, which I am very involved in. So that's going to tie me up quite a bit for several days. And uh, so I still think that it's good for my mental health to go out into the garden at least an hour a day, even if I don't think I get a lot done. I right. can maybe like clean up the last of those tomatoes because, you know, we've had the frost. <sighs> and D, this is really going to freak you out. I looked ahead to our forecast for next through next weekend. Oh, no. What? There's a temperature of 30 degrees, which in my book is a hard freeze. Yes. And disconnect <laughs> your garden <laughs> hoses. Hard freeze. In which, in whose book is it not considered a hard freeze? I don't know. I Anything under 32. In, yeah. If you live up in Alaska, you know, like, oh, it's warmed up this summer. I'm, not, I'm just kidding. What well, Bill just fixed. Garden? Bill just fixed our hoses once again in a couple of places, and all I could think of because one of them was dripping. I said I, to myself, "I thought, well, we're just going to have to undo them in two weeks." So I don't really understand why he's fixed them, but I just left him. Yeah, there you go. What is your plan for the week, D? Uh, I'm going to try to find those crown beard seeds so that I can spread them in the upper pasture. That's my plan. There you go. And I'm also going to try to watch my liatris. Oh, and I'd like to mulch my bed that is right by my um, garage with pretty mulch that is also protective. That's all there I'm saying I'm going to do. Well, that sounds pretty good, D. Well, that is it. We want to thank you for listening to The Garden Angelus. I hope you've hit that subscribe button so you don't miss a single episode. We publish every Wednesday at 12 a.m. Eastern Time. If you listen to Apple Podcasts, we'd love a five-star review that helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share our podcast with your gardening friends? Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. And be sure and check out our show notes and links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And subscribe to our new Substack newsletter, The Garden Angelus at Substack.com, also linked to in our show notes. And if you want to help support us, use those affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, we're in a small commission and it costs you nothing. It was lovely to chat with all of you over the Garden Gate today. Bye until next week. Bye, everybody.